0: All right. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter one. John chapter one. We're going to begin in um, verse thirty-seven. John chapter one, starting in verse thirty-seven. And this is um, this is the beginning of the harvest. This is when uh, Jesus really begins to bring disciples to Himself, and it's an it's a I think it's a beautiful scene of what evangelism and discipleship um, and and being a witness for Jesus um, is all about. Um, Nobody besides John really knew who Jesus was at this particular point. And even John may have still had some learning to do before he could understand exactly who Jesus was. Um, But we'll see that even today, people don't have to know everything about him They just have to be willing to come and meet him. Um, Many of the disciples that Jesus calls, they they may know him, but they don't necessarily know everything that he's about. And Jesus will work uh, in the life of anyone uh, to make them his own disciple. So before we go any further, I do want to mention that Jesus, he didn't grow up in a vacuum. And he didn't just appear. Um, The people around would have known Jesus. They wouldn't have known what he was to become. Uh, they wouldn't have known his mission, but but he wouldn't be an absolute stranger to people. Uh, he had not been teaching the way that he was going to be teaching. He had not been working signs and wonders the way that he would, but he wouldn't have been an absolute stranger. So that's important for us to remember um, as we kind of dig into this that, that that he would have been in this community or in this culture. He would have known some of these people and some of them may have even known him before he called them to be his disciples. So let's look at the sermon in a sentence. Jesus started gathering a harvest with a simple invitation and an incredible promise. What we do know is that things changed. After Jesus was baptized and he went through the temptation, which is where this picks up, after the, he would went through the temptation in, in the wilderness, things changed. And so people would have begun to view him very differently just like we see here uh, with these very first disciples. So last week we read verse 35 and 36, where John, once again, he's standing with two of his disciples, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And so we pick up with these two disciples in verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. He turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and or, or the, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Philip said to him, "Come and see." Then er, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, "Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit." Daniel said to him, "How do you know me?" Jesus answered him, "Before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, or under the fig tree, I saw you." Nathanael answered him, "Rabbi, You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you uh, under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Okay. So let's get into this. First of all, we know that John was not trying to start his own movement. So he didn't need to accumulate and keep disciples his whole ministry was about pointing away from himself uh, first you know repent and be baptized and then eventually behold the lamb of god so we know that john uh was not trying to keep his disciples so that's why he is he is literally telling his disciples look here is one greater than me now john would have continued to preach he would have continued to perform his ministry up to the point that he was imprisoned. so once he was not free to do so Um, He would not have done that. So he was pointing out um, others uh, basically away from himself and to uh, Jesus. And so these two followers, these two disciples, they leave their teacher for the teacher. And so that's kind of how this story starts. We definitely know that one of these men is called Andrew. He's the brother of Simon Peter, but the other man is not named. Now, this is the gospel of John, John the Apostle. And John never gives his name in the, the gospel. He never says, and me, John, I did this or that or the other. He always refers to himself in some other way. So, and we know that John was one of the very early, early disciples of Jesus. So this other disciple who is not named and was not named... Um, is most likely John, almost certainly this is John uh, the Apostle. So that's how he is the witness to so many of these things um, that we're about to look at. Now, um, so much trust that they had in John the Baptist... Um, that when he said Jesus is the Lamb of God, they immediately left him and began to follow Jesus. And it actually says here, um, the the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, at this point, follow is not some deep theological term. It just means they went walking behind him. Uh, They they went going with him and being a part of what what he was doing or at least seeing um, what he was saying. So Jesus may have heard their footsteps, or he may have just supernaturally known that they were there. Um, but either way, he turns to them and he asks them a very, very direct question. The question is, and this is the first you know, recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, uh, the question is very simple. What are you seeking? Uh, it's not only direct, but it can actually be challenging. As John and Andrew are faced with this question, um, they're not even able to answer it. And, and the question is, when we first came to Jesus, could we have answered that question? When we were first coming to know Jesus, or, or, or the first time we were introduced to him, could we have said, you know, I want this, 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 and this? Could we have given Jesus an answer to that question? Well, John and Andrew don't even try to answer that question. Instead, they pretty much pass by it, and, and they, they begin to um, ask another question of themselves. Um, what I what mean, what I'm pointing to, is that John and Andrew didn't know everything they wanted from Jesus, they didn't know everything about Jesus, but they could, in simple obedience, do what he commanded them to do at that particular time. So none of us really knows uh, what Jesus has to offer at first, um, but what we do know is that he is what our heart truly needs. Um, we know that this world is, is, is corrupt and it's full of deceit, but Jesus is, is pure and he speaks the truth. So we know that, and John and Andrew knew that as well, and so their response is to call him a rabbi. Um, Now John translates that word for us because it would have been um, maybe unfamiliar to the Gentiles that we're reading, Uh, and he says, teacher, well actually it means something like uh, your majesty. It it, it is a high title, um, but it was used as teacher in that particular time period, and so uh, it was a term of great respect, and, and then translated into teacher. So the only thing these men can answer, uh, can offer an answer to Jesus, is that they want to be with him wherever he's staying. Um, you ever had somebody invite themselves over to your house, kind of, you know, underhandedly? Well, that's that's basically what they, where are you staying? You know, where, where where are you at? Because that's where we want to be at that particular time. And Jesus still doesn't answer this question, but he does give them a clear invitation for them to to go with him. He says, "Come and see." Come and you will see. So he is inviting them to come along with him on, on this journey that, where he's going. And obviously, you can take this all as extremely like literal and one-dimensional. You know, what are you seeking? You know, where, where are you staying? And, and come and see. You can take all of that as extremely literal. This is one conversation. Or you can assume, which I think is right, that, that, that John and Andrew didn't know what they were seeking and didn't know what they were getting into, but Jesus understood and he was beginning to get to those deeper truths with them almost immediately that they weren't going to be told about the kingdom. They were going to come and experience the kingdom. Uh, they, they they didn't just come to Jesus because he was a, a spectacle. They, they came because they were seeking something. Now, Jesus was not about going for popularity. He wasn't building a crowd for a crowd's sake. And so if... If, if someone had, had been there, we want to see a miracle or we want to be in on the action. Any, anything other than, hey, I just want to know you and I want to know, you know what you're... That, Jesus wouldn't have taken them on as followers. He wouldn't have taken them on as disciples. But because they were truly seeking, Jesus was willing to bring them bring them on. Now, this was a, this was a life-altering occasion. And this is pretty interesting about this. Meeting Jesus was so life-altering for John that he remembered the exact hour that he met Jesus nearly five decades later when he's writing this down. So half a lifetime later, John still remembers when he met Jesus. So the tenth hour, if you're going by Jewish time reckoning, would have been about four o'clock, four p.m. And so he met John then, or met Jesus then, And maybe he knew Jesus beforehand. It's not like massive population. Maybe he knew Jesus beforehand. But on this moment, he became a follower of Jesus. And so he would have spent the rest of the day with Jesus. Now, what would they have done? That's, that's the stuff of, of imagination. What did Jesus teach John and Andrew that day? What did he say that convinced them that they needed to go and begin to make other disciples and bring other people to them? Well, we don't know. And likely, some of it is recorded in other parts of scriptures. He probably told them some of the same things that he would teach later in, in sermons and in other conversations with religious leaders or things like that. But whatever Jesus said to them, Whatever they did that afternoon had a profound, life-altering impact. And that's the point there. That's what we need to notice is that that encounter changed their lives. It would never, ever be the same again. So when we encounter Jesus, his invitation is simple, but it is challenging. He's not asking for something complex that we can't offer. But what he is asking for is a commitment. He's asking for us to commit to follow him, to commit to know him, to commit to be his disciple. So that is simple, but it is not easy. It is not, it is not something that we can take on lightly. And I don't believe that, that John and Andrew took it on lightly, but they certainly took it on. And so let's look at this next part where we start seeing some, some other people jump in, other people join in to following Jesus. It says the next day... Andrew set about finding his brother. So it says here in verse, um, let's see, in verse 38, no, 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 verse 39, no, again, in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. In verse 41, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So Andrew set about finding his brother to introduce him to Jesus. Now, again, somewhere in the stuff of imagination, how did this conversation go? Who's the older? Is Andrew the older? Is Peter the older? Because that would change the way that conversation went. You know, Andrew comes to, to, to Peter or to, to Simon as we would know him at that time. Hey, we found the Messiah. Simon could have said, Yeah, you found him last week. Of the week before that, and of the week before that, because he was following after John the Baptist, right? So you could imagine any number of conversations. And we know that Simon and Andrew had a fishing business, so probably when he found Peter, or when he found Simon, Simon may have been working, and here's Andrew all following another teacher. Didn't you have a different teacher last week? I mean, you could see all of these things happening. We don't get all of that. John doesn't tell us all of that story, but what we do know is that Andrew found a way to bring people. Jesus and in fact every time we see Andrew we don't get a lot of mentioning of Andrew in the Gospels but every time we find him in the Gospels he's bringing somebody new to Jesus and so that's an important thing and if we could only have one spiritual gift in this life we should pray for the gift of bringing people to Jesus. Andrew had that gift maybe he wasn't the greatest speaker maybe he didn't have some of the same power to to, to heal or to do different things that that Peter and, and John would later but He could bring people to Jesus, and that's important. And so that's exactly what he did. So considering Simon's personality, um, the religious tension of the day, and the business of everyday life, Simon and Andrew probably had a longer conversation, I do believe that, but the end result is that basically Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, and Jesus met him there. So the idea of Messiah, especially in the first century, it was just full of, of theology, full of religious context, and and certainly there had been a lot of people that had claimed to be the Messiah. Um, there were a lot of people who were accused or identified as the Messiah in the past, um, and, and really that was the nature of the questions of the people from Jerusalem to John last week is, you know, who are you? And the first thing John says, well, I'm not the Christ, because I'm sure there's a bunch of people claiming, you know, to be the Christ or to be the Messiah during this time, but we've actually found him. And so that would have been a, a deep conversation, but for... But for Simon, he is willing to go, and he's willing to meet Jesus. He's willing to listen to what Jesus has to say. So it is important that when we remember, or that we remember, when we are called to be witnesses of Jesus, we are not his defense attorneys. You're going to meet people, and you're going to try to tell them that you're, you know, you follow Jesus, and they're immediately going to start trying to put Jesus on trial. Well, if God is good, why does this happen? And if, 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 you know, if Jesus is all about righteousness, why do his own people do this? And, and that and the other. And they're always going to have excuses. And really what that is, is they're turning the attention away from Jesus and away from what God wants to do in their life. They're wanting to focus on something else entirely. It's deflection. And it's, it's, we know it well. When you were a kid, you learned deflection very quickly. You know, why did you do this? Well, Jimmy did it too. We learned that so quickly that, that, that it becomes second nature for us. And so when you ask people about Jesus and, and you try to talk to them about Jesus immediately, they're going to point something else. That's what they're going to do. It's not your job to defend Jesus. He's perfectly capable of defending himself. All our job is is to introduce people to him, to be that witness. Hey, I can't tell you about that, but what I can tell you is he has changed my life. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't answer all of those questions for you, but I can tell you that Jesus, in my life, has been a revelation. He has saved me, He has forgiven me of my sins, and He has brought me into His family. You don't have to know everything, and, and you certainly don't have to be a theologian, and it doesn't seem like Andrew trying to to make that kind of argument for with, with Simon. He just simply wanted to get Simon in front of Jesus. He knew that was his role. It was his purpose. He had that gift and he was able to accomplish it. So the miraculous work that Jesus completes in our lives is enough to give others reason to follow Jesus. So we may have to ask ourselves, has Jesus done miraculous work in our lives? Are we different today than the day that we met Jesus? Has he changed us? Has he made us into a new person? You may or may not be able to answer that question for yourself, but those around you can answer it. Those around you can tell you, yes, you are different than when you first met Jesus. Yes, you are different. You have changed and you have grown because of what Jesus has been doing in your life. The work that Jesus does in our life is our witness. It is our testimony. Now, the way this is worded, not only did Andrew go and get Simon, but it seems that John uh, went for James later. So again, in the verse I had trouble finding, in verse 41, he first found his brother Simon. So if there's a first, there must be more. It seems that John went and found James, because we know that John and James were followers of Jesus, and so were Andrew and uh, Simon. And so John probably went to find uh, Simon. Maybe he realized, well, Andrew's going to get Peter. Well, why don't I go get James? And, and James may also have been working and, and fishing and doing the work that they had to do. And again, same story, John. You had you, John, you were following John last week. Now you're following Jesus, you know, and I'm still fishing. I'm still keeping up the family business, um, you know, because somebody has to do all the work around here. But maybe maybe that was the conversation. Maybe it wasn't. But what we do know is that eventually you had both John and James and uh, Andrew and Simon following after Jesus. So the relationship that these brothers already had, and, and you know, sibling relationships can be tense. They can be challenging but but one thing is is they weren't necessarily going to break off and, and never deal with each other again. But that relationship is now magnified beyond degree because of the relationship that they have together with Jesus. Now it's you know first first impressions are, are a lot. When Jesus meets Simon, he gives the the na- nickname Peter to him. Um, and if you if you go back and, and look, apparently Simon Barjona actually had some kind of connotation that, that you were unstable as mud. Now, I don't know if that had to do with Simon himself or if that was just the name. Um, but anyway, what was following Simon around was that he was, he was wishy-washy. He was back and forth and he was not dependable. He could be all over the place. And he could be this kind of person that, that you never knew what he was going to do next. You never knew if he was going to be there when he said he was going to be there. You never knew if what he was saying at that moment was true or false. He was just unstable. And so when Jesus looks at him, he says, Right now, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Cephas. Right now, you're unstable as mud, but you're going to be called the rock. And so when Jesus looked at Peter, he looked at a man that was going to change. He looked at a man that was going to be so stable and so rock solid by the end of his life that he had no qualm whatsoever with dying for the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry. We know this. that We know that Peter was resolute in his faith. He did not turn away. He did not shy away. Even when it came time to be persecuted and to be executed, that he stood in line and, and waited for his turn to die for Jesus. So, we may also at this point be unstable we may also be at a point where we are not the most trustworthy or we are the most resolute but we can be made like an unmovable rock jesus takes us as we are and makes us into what we should be he does not expect for you to come clean he does not expect for you to come prepared and to come perfect we've heard this and y'all probably heard other preachers say this but people say well i got to get my life right and then i'll get in church That's like saying, I'm going to get well and then go visit the doctor. It doesn't make sense. Jesus will clean us up. He will change us into what we need to be. But let's look at this as as we have another day. So this will be the third day, um, and we we begin to see a pattern here as Jesus is picking up disciples um, with pretty good regularity. It says the next day, um, Jesus and his growing disciples, they decide to move to Galilee. And I've probably said this before, um, but before, we got an opportunity to go to Israel some time back, and I'd always read in the Bible, immediately Jesus was here, and immediately Jesus was there, and I thought, well, that's not possible. Um, But when you go there, you find out, yeah, it kind of is. It's not a very large place. It's a very small place. Um, I was watching on the news, you know, they're talking about the bombing and everything that's going on in Israel and from Gaza, they were talking about shooting rockets and it was like 40 something miles to Tel Aviv and 40 something miles to Jerusalem. And we don't even think about that in a country where you could attack all of the major cities, you know, and not travel 100 miles. It is a small country. And so, when it says Jesus went from one place to another and he was there the next day, well, it actually does, even walking, it does make sense that he could be there the next day. So, they go to Galilee. And so, what that means is they were probably in that region around Nazareth and Canaan. They were maybe, maybe they were in that area where they might have um, bumped into some different folk. And so, they meet a man uh, named, or, or they, 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 they meet Philip, or they find Philip. So, it actually says um, that next day. They decided to go to Galilee, and he, Jesus, found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and it's likely that he would have known Andrew and Simon. They were all from the same place, um, and that's, that's likely. And, it, and if, if Peter had anything like the, 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 I guess you'd say the personality that he does later in the Gospels, where he's always the one speaking up, He's always the one that's that's charging out ahead, whether it's right or wrong. He's definitely in the front. You would have known Peter. He he would have been the one that everybody kind of well. Do you know Peter? Well, of course I know Peter. You know, so if you say, but Bethsaida, do you know Peter? Yeah, of course I know this guy because he's always the one speaking up. He might be you know a buffoon sometimes. He might be a you know a leader sometimes. But we know who he is. Well, so Philip may have known. Um, Simon and Andrew at this point Um, but that's not necessarily the key point here what we're told is that Jesus finds him which indicates that Jesus was specifically searching for him the word he he found uh, does does imply that there is a hunt that there is some kind of search that Jesus was going somewhere to find an individual and he found him in Philip so that's a really intriguing thing that Jesus went to a town just to find Philip and then uh, Jesus tells Philip to follow him and keep on following him. So it's, it, the, the way that he says, follow me, it doesn't just mean let's go somewhere right now, but it actually means keep on following me, stay with me, stay and follow and continue following me for, for the foreseeable future. So that's essentially when Jesus says follow me in that way, that's what he means at the end of verse 43, follow me. It means in that way, and so in you know, verse forty-four tells us Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, uh, and it says that Philip found Nathaniel. Um, now Nathaniel, he had some kind of uh, reservation about Jesus simply because of his hometown that was in Nazareth. By the way, Nathaniel is probably Bartholomew in the other three Gospels. Bartholomew is never mentioned in John, and Nathaniel was never mentioned in the other three. So, so probably he had two names, and John called him Nathaniel. Um, but anyway, it says that um, he had this issue. He says, well, we have found uh, him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth son of joseph so at this point philip identifies jesus as a a person from nazareth which was you know near cana which is where nathaniel was from And, and so he identifies him not just from nazareth but also a son of joseph now some people may say well this means that john thought that joseph was jesus's true father and that's not the case all he was doing was recording a conversation that would have made a lot of practical sense Who is he? Well, he's from Nazareth. Joseph was his father. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. That's kind of how that would have went. But with Nathaniel, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It does seem that Nazareth had a bad reputation. Um, It may have been just the small-town rivalries. Cana and and Nazareth were close together, so it could have been that small-town rivalry, but it also could have been the fact that Nazareth did sit on a trade route. And because of that trade route, there were certain undesirables that, that traveled through the town and it would have given it this, this, this more uh, international but also evil flavor to, to the town. And so maybe that was why they said what they said. But regardless of, of Nathaniel's initial um, observation or understanding of Jesus being from Nazareth, he was still willing to go and to actually meet Jesus. Um, because all Philip had to say was, come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, well, we'll come and see. Same sort of invitation that that Jesus had given to uh, John and Andrew earlier. You know, where are you staying? Well, come and see. Well, then Philip says, well, well come and see. Come see Jesus. Come see what he has to offer. And so Nathanael takes him up. He's willing to go. Uh, and as believers, we're just expected... To extend that invitation, just like Philip did, come and see. That's what we're expected to do. Again, you don't have to be a theologian to bring people to Jesus. And that's exactly what Philip was doing, was bringing someone to Jesus. Now, Jesus himself will will convince people, and as an example right here. So when Jesus sees Nathanael approaching, he calls out an unusual greeting. He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now I don't know if any translations actually read this way, but it should be, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. I don't know if any of your translations will read that way, but that's that's surely what Jesus said is in uh, an Israelite in, in in whom there is no Jacob. So Jesus kind of begins this theological conversation or at least a reminder. remember Jacob when he was younger he was the trickster he was the deceiver he was he was the one that grabs the heel that was that was all of jacob's mentality and everything that kind of showed in his um, in his character early on. but as he got older those tricks and those games got turned around on him and so instead he was the one that strived with God and that was when God changed his name because he was named Jacob. And then during the wrestling match with God, he became known as Israel, the one that strives with God. And so what Jesus points out about Nathanael is you strive with God, but you don't seek to to make tricks or to deceive or to to do anything like that. And so he was kind of pointing to two different national characteristics and and that Nathanael had the more desirable one now nathaniel seems to agree with him he says so how do you know me you you know me but but how like how do you know that about me from me walking up to you and jesus says well i saw you under a fig tree before philip came and got you now the fact that he saw nathaniel isn't all that impressive because if i'm walking by i might see you and i even read a commentary that said well the fig leaves are big so maybe you couldn't have seen him the fig fig leaves so then you know Nathaniel would have known Jesus has supernatural powers but I don't think Jesus means I saw you like with my eyes although he did I think what he means is that I that I knew you I knew you when I saw you I knew you for who you were when I saw you now think about that if somebody came up to you and said I know you for who you are that would be very unnerving wouldn't it because we know what everybody else knows we would know what the public perception is. And the, the truth is, there's good things about all of us that most people don't know. There, there's, there's definitely good things that, that we just, you know, you might be an amazing cook and you never tell anybody, or, or you might be the best singer there is in the shower and you never tell anybody about those kinds of things, but there's also things that, that everybody else doesn't know that we don't want them to know. And Jesus knew Nathaniel. He knew that he sought to strive with god and so if nathaniel's sitting under that fig tree trying to figure out all the things that are going on because you do you have you have john the baptist you have john the baptist out there preaching about repentance you you have messiahs showing up all the time um you have roman rule you have what the religious group in israel saying you have those that 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 are accepting the greeks and, and greek way of life and greek gods and all those things so so what's the truth? What's going on? Maybe that's what Nathanael was sitting under that tree working on was what really should I believe and who should I, who should I listen to? Maybe he was trying to strive with God, but, but he wasn't going for a trick or a deceit or anything like that. And, and Jesus knew that and Jesus called him on it. And Nathanael says, well, how did, how did you know me? But it's the most amazing thing when Jesus says, I saw you under that fig tree. And Nathanael says, well, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I recognize you as all of those things. Now, normally, especially early on, Jesus tells anybody that says that kind of stuff, just hush. You, know, you don't talk about that. But for Nathaniel, he takes it in stride and he says, well, come and follow me. Just come and continue on with me, he says. Um, he says, you believe, because I said I saw you under a fig tree. Um, do you believe? He says, you will see greater things than these. And so for Nathaniel, what he heard in what Jesus said has to be a little bit more profound than I saw you under a fig tree. Uh, but what, what Jesus says is you're going to see even greater than what you think you saw. You're going to see even greater than what you think just happened here. It's going to be even more powerful than that. So when he says in verse 51, and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This goes back to that whole Jacob-Israel thing, because remember Jacob's vision, his dream of, of, of the ladder, Jacob's ladder, and, and, and that vision, he says, you're going to see this. You're going to see more than even what Jacob saw with his dream of the, the, the ladder. And, so, and of course, Jesus introduces himself here as the Son of Man, uh, which is an important aspect that he is that represent, representative of man on earth. For God and for God's purposes. So Nathaniel probably had his mind completely blown at this point, had no idea what was what was really about to happen, but he knew that he had found Jesus and he had found Jesus um, to be a special person. So what can we take from this? You know, at this point, Jesus has six disciples and each of them came to Jesus with only a a partial understanding of who he was. It seems like Nathaniel got a pretty good picture uh, because he does give Jesus some of the titles that Jesus has, that Jesus holds. Um, But, you know, we don't have to have a, uh, or give an exhaustive witness of all we know about Jesus. We simply must tell people to come and meet him. So, definitely when I was, a lot younger and I would try to talk to people about Jesus, I want to make sure I told them everything. I don't want to leave anything else, So I I would tell them everything I knew about Jesus. Well, by the time I was was finished talking, they were bored. They, They were tired and they didn't want to hear anything else. We don't have to tell people everything about Jesus at once. They couldn't handle it. And I think that's why Jesus doesn't answer some of the questions that he gets asked here. Where, 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 they, where they ask him, you know, who are you or what, where do you stay or anything, he, he's not going to answer all those questions. He just wants you to start knowing him. Start knowing him. You know, when you meet somebody on the street, all you really know is what they look like. They speak to you, now you know what they sound like. That's about it. You start that relationship. And so what we are charged with doing is helping people get to the point where they can start a relationship with jesus christ you know think about these disciples again each man came to jesus as he was and jesus received him with open arms what was simon we know he was a fisherman from the other gospels john doesn't actually say that but but we know that to be true but what else was he you can look at his personality and see that he probably had a lot of things going on in his life and not all of them were necessarily good but jesus doesn't lift off his sins Jesus doesn't lift off his problems. He just says, "Hey, I'm going to make you into the rock. You will be called the rock." Every man had hopes, and he had regrets in his life when he came to Jesus. And, rea- and the reality—that's that's the way all people are. There are things they hope for, things that they would love to see, and there are also regrets—things that we wish we had not have been a part of, things that we wish had went differently. They were looking to Jesus to change them, and to make them better. That's what they hope for. Us, how we are, plus Jesus how he is, equals us, how he wants us to be. Your greatest vision of yourself pales in comparison to what God wants you to become. And the only obstacle from us becoming what God wants us to be is us. As we turn to Jesus, as we follow him, as we do what he commands us to do, we will become like him. That miraculous work that he does in our lives is our witness. It is our testimony in how we introduce other people to Jesus. Notice that once these guys met Jesus, they went and got other people. At first it was strategic, but we're going to see that they're telling everybody. They're telling everybody about Jesus. And they can't stop themselves. and, And they shouldn't stop themselves. And we should not hold back either. We should tell people about Jesus. Start with with strategic if you want to, but we need to be telling everybody about the Lord Jesus because they need to hear about him. They don't need to necessarily hear about church or, or, or theology or, or this book or that book that they need to read. They need to know Jesus. Let Jesus begin to walk them down their journey, their unique journey with him. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for again, this time to gather together. And I thank you as we begin to, to glimpse into the life of Jesus. Just as we read John's description of Jesus, he he is a king. He is, he is walking around and people are submitting their lives to him. People are, are recognizing right away his power to change them. And Father, I pray that that this morning, as, as we gather together, we have seen that same power to change in our own lives. Remind us again of just how powerful and how drastically our lives can be changed by following Him. And then I pray that you will use us as witnesses to tell others. It's not about building a bigger church. It's not about getting more popular it's about one person bringing one person to Jesus. Give us that spirit of Andrew where we're always bringing somebody to you. I pray that we can do that. pray that that can be our gift. Because in this world today, we may not win a culture war, but we can win the fight for one soul at a time if we will just submit to do what you have called us to do, if we would just be witnesses because you have done amazing things in our lives and we need to tell others about it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.